You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. Welcome to the show, everybody. Look, I'm really fired up to share this interview with you. How to make a billion dollars. Billion dollars with a B. That's a big number. But here's the thing. This is the Amplify Prosperity Podcast. My name is Harrison Painter, and it's my mission to bring you the information, the people, the interviews that you need to become more prosperous. And that's what I've done here today. Cheyenne Cheyenne, author of Billion. He made a billion in revenue back in the 90s. He's still successful to this day. In the 90s, we're going to talk about what he did in the underground club scene of Los Angeles. In the 2000s, he built a vaporization company that was the first in his industry to go public. Currently, he's a speaker, a thought leader, a trainer in the Amazon and e-commerce world, and he's helping people all over the globe create sustainable income to break free from the chains of debt and all those problems that are coming with the economy. He's helping people make their own economy. So enough of me, enough of my chatter. Let's get to the interview right now. All right. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. So I want to talk a bit, man. You're an interesting guy. You're, you're somebody that we've, we've maybe crossed paths, but haven't physically met until today. Uh, but you're well-respected. You, you come from, from a group that I know that, that holds you in high regard. So let's talk a little bit about what is it that you do? What, what is it that, what wakes you up in the morning? Always the answer to that is first and foremost, I'm a family man. So my work revolves around improving our lives as a family first and foremost, because I'm a firm believer in that you always got to put your own oxygen mask on. And I tell people who I coach and mentor all the time that, you know, because people are so quick to jump into coaching other people, to teaching other people, to helping other people when they themselves aren't where they want to be. And oftentimes what I will do is tell them, hey, dude, just chill out serve yourself first, take care of your family, make sure that you are in a place of power. When you reach that place, then we can talk about you empowering other people. For me, my journey started many years ago in the supplement world. I created a all-natural herbal supplement that was an alternative to a street drug that was illegal at that time and had basically been wiped out. I left home when I was 15 and went about to find my fame and fortune through the electronic music scene, the rave and dance scene of the 1990s, I discovered a market for a product that I created basically from nothing. I literally was at less than zero. I was sleeping in abandoned apartment buildings, and I managed to find a mentor. This mentor encouraged me, coached me, helped mentor me so that I could get to a place where I could create a product that I felt could impact the world. 
And there was a meteoric rise in those days where the product went from literally nothing, me making it in the kitchen of a girlfriend when her dad was out. I managed to get her to convince I managed to convince her to let me sneak in through the back door as her dad left through the front door. He was some superintendent to some school yard district, something or other. And I would go in the back and I would start making prototypes. I had no money. I had no resources, but I managed to figure out how to get them. And I created this product. And one day it was like, wow, it works. I created a legal drug in a kitchen and I took it down to the first club that I, that I, that I knew that evening, an underground rave party, I walked up to the scariest drug dealer I'd ever seen in my life. This guy had gold teeth, tattoos on his face, muscles, bodyguards, the beautiful girls behind him. It was a, it was a scene out of one of those gangster movies. <laughs> and I realized in that moment that I was needing to burn my ships, that tonight was the night. I was either going to die by the hands of this man or convince him to become my employee, to become my distributor. And what ensued was a crazy next few years where I, of course, managed to get him to sell my products at the clubs and the underground parties. And it went from one guy to 1,000 guys to 10,000 guys to pretty soon we were in 30,000 doors. Urban Outfitters was knocking at our door, Warehouse Records, Tower Records, GNC, all the great retail stores of that time. Larry Flint wanted us in all the sex shops in LA. So we were all around. We were international, and here's this kid who was sleeping on the beach, sleeping in abandoned buildings. I had no money. I was sleeping in the backseat of a Lincoln Continental with the pages of Think and Grow Rich taped to the ceiling, looking at it with a flashlight six months before, and now the news just broke that we had broken a billion dollars in revenue. And the insane part and how about long of a time period was this from when you started till that billion dollar six hit? Six months. Six months. Wow. Yeah, it was certainly less than a year, so somewhere around the six-month six range. And the news broke. Sam Donaldson was in a limousine outside my office. Montel Williams was sending us a ticket to go to New York. There was New York Times, LA Times. I was in every publication. Everybody and their mother was calling to get me on. Who is this long-haired kid? And I was long-haired at the time. That's what I look like. If there's a For you guys just listening, it's a picture of me in a pink robe, a fuchsia robe with long hair, in the castle with some crazy stuff behind me. In those days, I didn't know how much a billion dollars was. I literally did not know how much a billion was. And I had a panic attack. I was like, oh my God, what the F's going on here? I don't know how much a billion dollars is. And then I relaxed and went on a wild ride. And it was crazy. We were printing money. Dude, I was making these things for 25 cents a pill, retailing them for $20 as quickly as we could produce them in multiple manufacturing facilities, we were selling them. We were moving containers at a time. And then one day we learned that the mob had a strict interest in taking over our product. And I found myself on a plane to Tokyo. Turns out it was the Japanese mafia interested in taking over my business. But so people and understand this was a legal business. Totally legal. Yeah. Although the authorities did not want it to be legal. The problem was they had no point of reference for me. They knew what to do if you were dealing drugs. They get the DEA, they get the IRS, they do all those nice things that they do to people that are in cartels and drug dealers. With pharmaceuticals, they know exactly what to do. They call the FDA, they call the FTC, they know what to do about that. But 
had anybody ever taken herbal ingredients, natural supplements, minerals, vitamins, herbs, those kinds of things, and made them into a pill that people could use recreationally instead of drugs? They had no frame of reference for me. Nobody knew what they were going to do with me. And that was the thing, the one thing that panicked them more than anything. So if we were to rewind a little bit, in the 1980s, a big pharma company that will remain unnamed, allegedly, I'll say all this is alleged, created a, a drug. That drug's purpose, it was a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, was to prevent depression for all these baby boomers. And it worked. Psychiatrists, doctors all over the world were prescribing. It was one of the most prescribed drugs of all time. One problem. In the 1990s, when all these people started to get off of it, and some of them stayed on, but when they started to get off of this drug, they realized that there was one side effect, allegedly, with this pill. Erectile dysfunction and sexual dysfunction. Turns out, this same pharmaceutical company, you would not believe, my friend, how nice and generous they were. They had another pill in development that they had spent billions of dollars to come out with, and this solved all the sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction problems from the drug of the decade before. They were very excited about this drug. This was what was going to make their stock price shoot up, make them the darling of pharma, the darling of biotech. This was going to be the biggest thing ever. Only one problem with their equation. They weren't expecting a 15-year-old Iranian kid, a teenage Iranian kid, would have come up with a pill that people would be using for the exact same purpose, but it would be unregulated. Wow! I didn't spend millions or billions making my product. I completely bootstrapped it, completely. I, in fact, I didn't have any money. I had negative money. I was in debt to all kinds of unsavory people at that time because I was just trying to get by. I was just trying to survive. And short six months later, we're selling more than real drugs are selling, if you can only imagine. Wow. So 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 with it happening so quickly, how did you how did you stay focused? How did you maintain what whatever goal that you had set for yourself? Really good answer to that. The first part of my formula, and this is a winning formula to lose. The first part of my formula was that I hired everybody that I could get my hands on. We did not have a second of time. I would sleep on the factory floor. I would sleep in my office. I would sleep in one of my exotic cars. I had a collection of beautiful exotic cars, brand new a Nissan NSX when it came out, Ferraris, Porsches, Lamborghinis, all of them. I had all of that stuff. And it would not be unusual for me to grab a couple hours sleep in the seat of in the passenger seat of one of my cars and then walk into the office and step and repeat that day. The second thing that I did was something called suicide margins. I had so much margin between the 25 cents and the $20, as long as I could keep producing product as quickly as, as we could through multiple manufacturing facilities and get it out. And the demand was high. I was doing TV every day. The demand could have never been higher for what we were selling. As long as the demand was high, we would have so much margin that any problems that came up could be solved by just throwing more money at it. And that's what I did. What a foolish way to run a business. I would have been in possession of many more of those millions now had I not have taken that philosophy. But at that time, we were printing money. I did not have a high school education. I did not have a college education. I had no education in business. 
and I was running a billion dollar plus company as a kid. And focus really came from the buzz, the flow, the excitement of the times more than anything else. Wow. Yeah. You know, that, that that's one thing I want to touch on for a lot of people, because look, a lot of people focus on getting rich, right? Not getting wealthy, meaning making money work for you. Everybody's working for the money, right? For the stacks, for this, wh whatever. I believe money's pretty easy to make. At least it has been for me in my career. It, it sounds like it's been fairly easy for you in your career. But what I found the struggle is to keep that wealth. And, and I found that struggle because you don't typically have a mentor. Our culture in America doesn't really talk about money. It's kind of shunned. It's, it's, it's an embarrassment or you have that fake it till you make it mentality, right? So what advice can you give somebody that maybe they are on the up and up? Maybe right now their business is starting to pick up and be innovative, but look, they want to maintain this momentum. They want to keep their wealth. What have you learned from that? So some of my views on this, Harrison, I'll tell you, are contrarian. Are you okay with me saying some stuff that might ruffle some feathers? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And it's okay if we don't agree. So if you don't agree with me, that's cool. I feel like we can contribute to each other and be open to hearing each other's opinions. And I'm open and flexible with what I believe. But what I can speak to is is my experience in life in creating a billion dollar company, you know, right now running multiple million dollar companies on the Amazon platform, teaching people how to do Amazon and whatnot. So let me, let me answer your question one at a time. So I think the first part of it is I oftentimes will say, and it turns a lot of eyebrows up when I say this, that being poor in America is the greatest injustice that anybody can place upon themselves. I choose my words very carefully. I mean every word that I say. Now, a lot of people will say, well, being poor is not a choice. Bull hockey. I don't know if I can curse on your show, but no, I know we're, we're, we're in full alignment. Yeah. There are people that I know that have come from literal slums. There are people that I know that have come from the ghetto, come from projects, come from all types of places and have made it to incredible heights. It is absolutely possible. Is it easy? No, it's difficult. You need discipline, you need grit, you need tenacity, you need resilience in order to do that. And Everybody nowadays is looking for the freaking hack. Our show is called Hack and Grow Rich. We teach people how to hack systems. Different. Everybody's looking for the hack to actually have to friggin' go out there and work. And this is what I tell millennials all the time now. They're like, all right, dude, tell me you're the hack guy. You're the, you're the great hacker. You, you hack Amazon. You hack all these systems. Tell me how to hack it. And I'm like, get your butt in the car and go drive Uber. Go wait tables. Do what you need to do to make sure that your family is taken care of, to make sure that you are secured. I know that you have a $10,000 challenge that you were telling me about. You got to have $10,000 that you can burn and it have no effect on your life or lifestyle in order for you to even be at a place where we can even consider what you're doing a hustle. The second part, that was your question to me was 
is it harder for some people than others? And the answer is yes. However, however, that is not necessarily based on your economic background. When we came to this country in the 1980s, I'm Iranian. We came from Iran. I was top of the heap in Iran. Had my own little gang of kids. Was Everybody loved me. Things were great there. We came here. I didn't speak English. It was during Iran-Contra. I went to school, and every single day, I had my butt handed to me by everybody. Everybody hated us. White kids hated us. The Mexican and black kids hated us. All the Asian kids hated us. Everybody hated us. We were incredibly hated. So I would get beat up by everybody at school. And I began to realize, wow, man, this, this country really does consider some people second-class citizens, and we're here. We are third-class citizens now. But it built strength. It built resilience. My family was poor. My folks didn't have very much money. They left everything in Iran. We literally ran to the plane with suitcases, with everything that we owned, and became refugees. That was our life story. We came here. My dad worked at a dry cleaners. He worked at pizza places. We never had new clothes. So I understand what it is to be poor. We were poor middle class, like we approached middle class at some stage in the 1980s, the late 80s, but we were poor when we came here. And I look at people like that and I think, man, you know, now I'm hanging around millionaires. I've got a couple of friends that are billionaires. I'm a, a multimillionaire. And it's incredible the stuff that we pay for and the stuff that we don't. Everything is cheaper for us. A, because we have the information. So I understand how to get things for less, things that we need for less, or sometimes have those things make me money. For example, you and I were talking about real estate. I own a lot of real estate, but every single piece of real estate I own brings me predictable recurring revenue. It makes me money. The house that I live in is two houses, and one of those houses is rented Airbnb, and that house brings me predictable recurring revenue. It's what I teach people every day on the Amazon platform, create these Amazon businesses so you can have this predictable recurring revenue. So somebody else tells me, hey man, I got an apartment and I'm paying $2,000 a month. I say, whoa, that's way too expensive for me. They say, what do you mean, Shaheen? You're, you're a DECA millionaire. You've got all this money now. You've created a billion dollars in revenue. You've got all these companies. I know you've got this exotic car collection. You own all these things. What do you mean $2,500 a month is too much for me? I say, I don't pay that. You're burning that money. They're like, well, how much do you pay? I'm like, no, my house pays me. Another example of how the rich things cost them less. It's, it's much yeah. less expensive to be rich in this country. Sa same with food. We've got a place up in New York. And in Manhattan, we go into a store that's near one of our properties there. And the food is incredible. You've got the freshest apples. Yeah, you know, it's expensive because it's New York standards, but still, you know, let's say for example, you're paying fifty cents for an apple at a store in in uh, in Manhattan. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be crisp. It's going to be beautiful. Move a little bit into the rougher areas where the people don't have that much money, where you've got the the project housing and the tenements and all that stuff that they have. I don't even know if those exist anymore, but that kind of stuff further further out from the city. <clears throat> That same apple might cost you 75 cents and it's not going to be as fresh. It's just the way things work. And all that's not even to say all my friends that are celebrities, that are in entertainment, that are in business as entrepreneurs, people send them stuff for free all the time. They rarely buy anything. Vacations, dinners, meals, everything. It's, it's very affordable to be rich, 
much more expensive to be poor in this country. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one of the things, the reason why this is the Amplify Prosperity podcast and not about you know, wealth, getting rich, all those type of things is because I believe prosperity means something a little bit different for everybody. Like when I was younger, of course, my goal was to become a billionaire, right? But now that I'm, I'm, I'm in my fifties, look, man, I'm good. If I have my Maslow's hierarchy of needs covered and I've got money that's working for me that I know is going to last until the day I die and even maybe create a small legacy that moves on. Right. So for me, prosperity is about freedom. When I worked in Hollywood, I know a lot of very wealthy people that were miserable, right? But the, but the lower income classes really focus on money is what's going to make them happy. Money's what's going to move their status up. Money is going to make them feel something about themselves. But they have to take a step back and understand what is it that you really want? Because money can't really be the end goal. Would you agree with that? Yeah, money is a side effect of what you do for me it's always been very easy to make money there's two parts to making money as i'm sure you are aware we had the conversation a little bit before but the two parts to making money are making money making it and keeping it i was always really good at making it not the best at keeping it in the earlier stage of my career now i'm much better at both but ultimately making money should be fun and I don't say that flippantly, like, hey, go live your passion. That's just some BS that wealthy people will tell you because they don't want to tell you, dude, the reason why I'm wealthy is because I'm smarter than you. The reason I'm wealthy is because I work harder and I'm a little bit smarter at a couple things than you are. That sounds arrogant. So they're not going to say that. What they're going to say is, you know, I just followed my passion. And and dude, if you follow your passion, if, you, if you're just passionate, BS. I know so many millionaires, so many wealthy people that absolutely their work has nothing to do with their passion. Well, I also look at, look, I, I coach younger people to say, look, if you're miserable in your job, change the mindset, right? Look at this job as a funding source, as an investor, right? Yeah. Temporary conditions, whatever that's going to do to fund the next venture. But the problem is, and, and this is why I'm on a tear to be part of teaching financial literacy to people in prisons, to people coming out of homelessness, to people in these marginalized neighborhoods, because that's the great equalizer, right? Going out and just, you know, protesting, what does that really do? How does that move the needle right. in 2021 for you? What's going to move the needle is finding a side hustle, finding a job, connecting with somebody like you, like me, that can help them find a way to climb the economic ladder. Because at the end of the day, I don't care what color you are, what sex you are, what religion you are. Money is a great equalizer because it creates that freedom that you can escape all of those things that culture is saying about you that quite honestly aren't true. So what I would love to, to, to have you kind of talk about a little bit, and, and, and look, I'm not real big with this whole, I don't want to talk politics, but I do want yeah. to touch on the fact that we have a culture that is telling marginalized groups or people of, I mean, you came from Iran. I mean, there's, I fully understand how challenging that must have been, but what can you tell people that truly feel like everything is against them? How do they cope with it when they're bombarded with it 24 seven? It's not like the eighties or nineties where you could escape it yeah. right now. It's you're connected 24 seven and you're being bombarded with this stuff. So what tool can you arm that person with to kind of overcome this, this challenge? 
All right. So this is going to be a little bit of a demotivator. I think this is something that a lot of the personal development, self-help coaches and people out there aren't going to tell you. So let me preface this by telling you that I believe that the problem with our society today, with our woke culture, with everything that's going on, isn't that we are not kind enough to people. It's that we are too kind. Kids are getting participation trophies in almost every sport. And it we go into adulthood with that attitude that we are entitled and that participation alone is sufficient to equal greatness. So you made a very good point. Money in and of itself is not the destination. Like I said, it's, it's a side effect. With that said, you need to seek excellence in what you do. If we look at great people like Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Albert Einstein, any of the, the great achievers through history, you may like them, you may hate them. It doesn't matter what, what you think of them or what I think of them. The fact is that they did achieve and made a dent in the universe as we know it. Things will never be the same. People like Elon Musk. The fact is that these are people that chase excellence not dollars. Jeff Bezos, a great example. Now I work on the Amazon platform and teach my Amazon mastery course, which by the way, for any of your viewers or listeners, I'll offer the course absolutely for free in alignment to your mission to empower people to get a side hustle. Anybody that's interested can reach out to me and we'll share that information at the end of the show. And I will give them the Amazon mastery course, the one hour crash course, A to Z on Amazon for free. So you guys can start getting that going as a side hustle. But with that said, the first part of the puzzle is that you have to, and again, a lot of people aren't going to be happy about this. You have to realize that there is no participation award. In my favorite movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the guy's walking around the sales room and he goes, you know, uh, here's, here's our golden leads. You know what first prize is? First prize is you get $5,000. Do you know what second prize is? And he shows this really dinky set of kitchen knives. A set you know of third steak prize knives. Is? Right, a set of steak knives, right? Great film. Third prize is you're effing fired. That's third prize. And really in life, sometimes second prize will get you're fired. Yeah, so what agreed. Do you do? Okay. Go ahead, go ahead. What you do is you have to first examine if you're even cut out to be doing the thing that you think you want to do. There's a great saying in Latin, I believe it's pronounced Nothi Sutan, which was uh, found in a lot of different places in, in ancient times. And they're wondering, well, why did these ancient people have that there in front of their great temples and spiritual places? And why did people have this written in all, this, all, the, all these places? Turns out it means know thyself. Very important. And when I realized the weight and gravity of this, I thought, man, if people just knew, like, if you know that you're an a-hole, it's better than not knowing you're an a-hole. If you know that you are an absolute failure at something, there's strength in that. There's power in that. So the first thing is you've got to do a true deep. This isn't a woe is me. This isn't a, oh, I feel sorry for me. I'm, I'm entitled. The world is against me. The chips are stacked against me. It's because I'm this. I'm because I'm that. And people don't want me to succeed. This is truly, are you cut out to be excellent in the field of your choosing? 
The answer might be no. The answer might be you suck. The answer might be you are an a-hole. Okay, we can do something with that. We don't know what we don't know. So you can embark on the journey of discovery from that point. Most people don't know how to handle confrontation. Because of that, most people will try to be as affable as possible, especially if they're not your dear close friends. I would hope that your dear close friends would say, dude, you're a complete a-hole. And by the way, you totally suck at driving Uber. Uber, you are the worst Uber driver ever. You should not be allowed near a car, much less driving other people. And with that, you have information. You have a path that you can take that's based in truth. Without truth, you can never find authenticity, which is the key. I talk about this to my Amazon students, my Amazon mastery students all the time. It is the master key to everything. The master key to sales, the master key to influence, the master key to success in any area of life is authenticity. You want to get that girl, the one that you think is unreachable for you? You don't need to have a set of lines, a set of pickup lines. All that stuff is cheesy. You don't need a fancy suit or some fancy car. Girls don't care about that. What you need is authenticity to become the real you. And the problem is most people don't know who that is. So you need to be self-reflective. You need to explore. You need to figure out who you are and what your purpose is. And from there, we can reach that point. But you have to be open to realizing that, hey, man, you might be a total a-hole. You might be a complete and absolute loser. You can be horrible at things. Look, I'm really excellent at a couple things in life, maybe a handful of things. I'm, I'm okay. A couple of things I'm world-class, world-class at. I think there's a couple things that I do that no one's better than me at, or I like to think that way at least. The rest of the stuff, I am a complete failure. I am beyond failure level at so many things that I could just be here all day long filling up journals with the stuff that I'm terrible at. But the fact is, I know the stuff that I'm terrible at, and I know the stuff that I'm good at. And that's what gives me the power to drive through. That's why my company made a billion dollars. That's why seemingly when I walk around, people are like, oh my God, everything you touch makes money. Everything you touch is made of gold. It's like, yeah, because... I know what I'm great at and I know what I suck at and I know how to get people to do the things that I'm not good at who are great at those things. So, so I, I, a couple of people have brought this up to me when, when I mentioned you and, and, and what you do with Amazon, a lot of people think Amazon's time has passed if you're an entrepreneur and trying to jump into this world. But yet as somebody looking at at the economy as a whole and looking at finance and how everything's going, Amazon's not going away anytime, at least probably not in our lifetime, right? It's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So why Amazon? Why right now is, is that the focus? Why are you seeing success? And do you feel you'll still have success in Amazon, say three years from now? I love haters. I was telling my kid this the other day. He's like, dad, I'm getting bullied. I'm like, good. Take the names down of everybody who's bullying you and we're going to give him a prize. He's like, a prize? That kid pushed me in the playground. I said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get him something nice. He's like, why? I said, because he's building grit and resilience in you. He's building strength. And it's really interesting. Jeff Bezos just yesterday put out a tweet 
sharing one of the first articles that was written. It was called Amazon.bomb, and I believe it was in Barron's, a big financial publication. And Bezos wrote in his tweet, which I think has shaken the entrepreneurial world right now, because he doesn't usually talk in these kind of personal development, self-help modalities. Rich Jeff Bezos, you know, now officially the richest man in the world. And he wrote, never believe what other people think of you without verifying it yourself, or it was something like that. But it's truly a testament to who the man is to be able to show a publication that I'm sure at its time must have been devastating, a cover page with him inside a literal cartoon bomb that said Amazon.bomb, failure eminent. Wow. And he, yeah. Now, let's fast forward to today. There are more sellers on Amazon than ever. There are more products on Amazon than ever. More customers are buying from Amazon than ever before. If somebody tells you, hey, the time for something is over, sure, show me. Show me. Show me the proof. Yeah, Warren Buffett did a lot of that proving in his time, right? Warren Buffett too, yeah. All these guys. Elon Musk. How many times did people think Tesla wasn't going to make it? No one's ever going to buy electric cars. Come on now. Here's, here's the lesson in all that. Never bet against Tony Stark. Never bet against <laughs> Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs. These are people that are willing to hit that nail in the head with whatever it takes. doesn't matter if they're hitting that nail in the head with a hammer, if they're hitting it with a rock, if they're hitting it with a nuclear bomb, if they are melting that nail and meeting it when it melts at the bottom floor of the whatever it is, these guys are going to make that nail go through that piece of wood. And it's not a good idea generally to bet against these guys. Amazon has been on an absolute tear. They are a disruptor. They have changed the way commerce is done. I equate it to the guy that started Piggly Wiggly. He had a little bit of a, a lurid past. But before that time, you would walk into a store and the guy would be like, Mr. Smith, what would you like? And you're like, well, you know, I'd like a gallon of, of milk, uh, some loaf of bread, uh, some tuna, and uh, I don't know, some sundries or whatever. And the guy would put them in a bag. He would put it on your tab or charge you for it. He would hand it to you and you'd be out the door. There would be no brands. There would be no products. There would be no merchandise. That was it. You took what they gave you and you left. Now you could go to a different store if you didn't like that store, but it would be much of the same. Piggly Wiggly did a different thing. He came in and he said, you know what? I'm going to build these things called shopping carts. I'm going to put the products in aisles. We're going to let different products of different brands and qualities compete with each other. And let's see what happens. Disrupted everything. You think that guy at the general store was happy? He was looking out his window going, what the F? All my customers are lined up outside of there. People just wanted to have the experience. Fast forward to Jeff Bezos. He is the new Piggly Wiggly. Look what's happening. People aren't buying their groceries from stores anymore. People aren't going. Retail is struggling right now. Brick and mortar is struggling for, for the most part. Everything is on Amazon. But people will always find a reason to hate. People want you to share in their failure. People want you to share in their insecurities. So somebody will tell you, oh, yeah, Amazon's oversaturated. There's so many sellers. Yeah. If you want to go sell iPhone cases and you're competing with these mega Chinese factories, I'm going to agree with them. Amazon's not the place for you, not starting off at least. But if you do what we teach, if you know how to tell a story, 
If you know how to influence and you want to go out there and put out an innovative product to meet the market demands on Amazon, you could make millions. You could lose everything, but you could make millions. And I've got students every day that are making thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, students and clients that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month selling products on Amazon. We make millions of dollars selling products on Amazon. It's because we know how to tell a story. We know how to find niches. Again, it comes down to there is no hack to hard work. What we do isn't super easy. You've got to go out there. You've got to research. You've got to communicate with manufacturers, with distributors. you got to figure out how you can get into that market. But similar to crypto, similar to any of these other markets, if you know what you're doing, if you have that knowledge, it'll give you the courage to do what you want to achieve. So explain this to me right now in our society, like, look, when I was coming up, we, I mean, look, Steve jobs was, was basically like a God, right? We held these, these tech startup founders in such reverence, this American dream that can be achieved, but all of a sudden turn to 2021. And it seems like we're demonizing every single billionaire that became a billionaire through this American dream, right? We're not talking about legacy wealth here. We're talking about guys that truly did disrupt markets and they are changing the world. Why do you think they're demonized today? Capitalism works. Might not be a perfect system, but it is the best that we have and the alternatives have all failed. People will argue with me. They'll be like, well, look at Norway, look at these places that have social whatever. Those places are, are majority a mix and people are paying some crazy amount of taxes, insane amount of taxes that make it really untenable to innovate in arguably the majority of those countries. The fact is that people love to hate on things that they feel is out of their reach. If they felt, if everybody felt that, hey, one day I can be Jeff Bezos, one day I could be Elon Musk, they wouldn't be hating on it so much. The fact that they can't get it, it's like one of those 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 kids, you know, it's like, who who even wants his stupid birthday at Chuck E. Cheese's? Yeah. By the way, it was my friend Nolan Bushnell who founded Atari, also founded Chuck E. Cheese's. What a brilliant idea. Pizza place based on a character that's a rat. It's one of the most <laughs> successful enterprises of the 1980s. Really fantastic. And there, there's another guy, Nolan Bushnell, another brilliant mind who, you know, people would hate on if they could, because they don't think that type of success, that type of wealth is attainable to them. Well, it's funny. So, so I don't get starstruck very often, but I'll never forget meeting Nolan because look, Chuck E. Cheese yeah. Uh, 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 Atari. Atari, like, like he molded my entire childhood. Right. So, so, so I met one of those meetings and I get introduced to him and, and it's the first time in my life. I'm like speechless. Like, I don't know what to say. Like this guy molded everything for me. And it was just kind of one of those really dumb fanboy moments where I was just like, thank you for everything. <laughs> what did I just, and I, I remember walking away just going, what the hell did I just say and do? It's right, hard but. in those moments, man. You're right. You're you're right. You know. So, I'll, I'll tell you the story because you mentioned one of those fanboy moments. So it's the heart of the ecstasy fame. My 15 minutes of fame with herbal ecstasy, and I'm this young kid. Everybody wants me at their party because they're like, "Hey, let's get that kid on TV who made that drug." And I'm flown to 
Ireland to go to the concert with you two. Only we're going with the management and the band. And in the before party, we are met by REM, uh, Michael Stipes and his whole group there, which were huge back then. So now I'm in a room with those guys, very normal guys. Those guys were very chill to hang out with, very normal. A little weird, but normal guys. <laughs> and there's all kinds of celebrities hanging around in, in that moment. But I'm like, oh my God, I'm hanging out with Bono and The Edge and the entire band <laughs> of U2 and Michael Stipes. So if things couldn't get crazier, the next day, we all were supposed to go to George Michael's birthday party. George Michael was having some kind of uh, thing. I believe it was either in London or Ireland. I forget, but it was his Cowboys and Angel party, some massive event that he was having at a restaurant. And visiting was Elton John. So it was Elton wow. John, Sir George Elton Michael, John. the entire band U2, Michael Stipe of R.E.M. and the whole band, and just like countless celebrities, like everybody was there. It was like yeah, supermodel, famous supermodel. Everybody was there. And I remember they were all sitting at the table. And my friend who was friends with everybody was like, waves me over. It's like, hey, Shane, come over. And I'm just sitting there. And there at one table are all of my childhood idols in that one moment. And they all recognized me because I was on the news just the week before. And I had pills. Wow. The whole party. I didn't have anything to say, man. <laughs> I thought I would have so much to say. I was like, dude, I'm going to say everything. Like, what about that song and the Joshua Tree? And oh, man. And, and oh, George Mike, you know, the 80s. Like, he was the greatest of all time. I was like, and I just thought there was nothing coming to my mind. I was just frozen. They just, you know, kind of patted me on the back and you know, just hanging out. We were eating. I was eating, uh, you know, whatever it was. I think it was fish and chips. They were so we were eating fish and chips with these guys. I got up and left and I was like, wow, did that really happen? That actually happened. But that's what life was like in those days, in the, in the Arbalexi days, back in the crazy wild time of the billion. Wow, man, this has been good. So I want to end, I like to end with some action items, right? People listening to this right now, what can they do? Of course they can take my $10,000 challenge, which is basically working 12 hours or less per week in any side hustle and then investing every penny of what you make into some form of investment that's right for you. Uh, as I graduate, let's let's push people with what you're doing. So, so how can they get involved? How can they learn Amazon? How can they become masters through you? Well, can this be part of what you're doing? So as part of their $10,000 side hustle? Absolutely. Could they start it, an Amazon business? Fit, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well then I encourage you guys to check out fbasellercourse.com. That's my Amazon course. Or reach out to me. If you send me an email and tell me that you saw me on the show, included in the subject heading, I will give you my one-hour course, normally $200, absolutely free. It teaches you how to start an Amazon business, get it going as your side hustle, get it going as your main hustle. And you can reach out to me at darkzess at gmail.com. This is my actual email I check all emails. I respond to all emails. So you will get attention from me. That's D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S -S at gmail.com or go to fbasellercourse.com. Also, we have a podcast. We go live once a week, but we have content coming out almost every day. It's Hack and Grow Rich. Get us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. Same with my book, 
that just dropped. The audiobook just came out today, so I'm super excited. But the hardcover's been out for about a week. It's called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. Goes through my journey to a billion and how I got there, if that's something you'd like to learn about. And otherwise, if there's any way you feel that I can empower you, help you get to your goals, even help you get to that $10,000 challenge, reach out to me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to purchase 10 of your books, if you would be so kind enough to sign them, and then we will give them away. 100%. Let's do it. We're going to make that happen. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're helping people level up. Level up. We're helping them become prosperous. And, and now you're a big part of that journey. Honored to be on, man. Thank you so much for having me.